السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار So the theme of this Dora is centered around the trials that a Muslim faces and especially living in the environment that we find ourselves in. The trials and the challenges are multiplied because of that. So throughout today's lectures, inshallah ta'ala, you will see the speakers touching upon various aspects, various issues, various elements and giving advice. So what I want to do in my lecture is to try to give you something by which you can tie all of these ends together. To tie them all together and so that uh, in the form of an analogy so, so that you have a practical way or a practical method with which you can protect your iman, protect your belief, protect your tawheed, protect your iman. And so this is what we will be working towards insha'Allah ta'ala in the course of this lecture. So we begin with the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal in which he says, زُيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ حُبُّ الشَّحَوَاتِ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ وَالْبَنِينَ وَالْقَنَاتِيرِ الْمُقَنْطَرَةِ مِنَ الظَّهِبِ وَالْفِدَّةِ مِنَ الظَّهِبِ وَالْفِدَّةِ in this ayah, Allah Azawajal, He says that beautified to men, beautified to, to, to mankind, is the love of desires. And then Allah Azawajal, He mentions seven categories or seven things of women, of women, of children, of offspring, of pieces or bits or collections or gatherings of Gold and silver. Gold and silver. Women, children, gold, silver. And continues, Walkhail al Musawama, which is horses, branded horses, Wal An'am, which is cattle, Wal Harf, which is the tillage that you take out of out, out of the land. So what I want to focus here, what what I want to take out of this is Let's take one of the most precious things which is mentioned in this list, which is gold. Gold. So if you imagine, so these things have been beautified in the hearts of people. People love these things. They are beautified and they bring pleasure to people. So let's take gold from these things. And let's imagine now that in your house you have a hundred coins, oh sorry, a thousand coins of gold. So in your house right now, 
There are 1,000 coins of gold. What's the price of gold right now per ounce? Anybody know? Eleven hundred pounds? Does anybody agree or disagree? Is it eleven hundred? It's it's about a thousand. It's a thousand. So, a thousand pounds is the is is is, is the value of uh, uh, one ounce of gold. So that one thousand, that collection of one thousand coins of, uh, of of one ounce coins that you have in your house right now, is worth a million pounds. That's a million pounds. So with your knowledge, with your knowledge that you have this treasure in your house, this valuable treasure, I don't think there would be a single person sitting in this room except that he's thinking in the back of his head, there's a, a thousand gold coins in my house. Right? It's in the back of his head. Right? He's worried, he's concerned, he's thinking about it, protecting it, preserving it, right, from thieves, from whatever else. When he's on a journey, he's thinking about it. When he's asleep at night in the bed, thinking. Because that's a tremendous amount of wealth. When you have a million pounds in your house, that is going to play on your mind throughout, throughout the day, whether you like it or not. So, the point being here, that this treasure or this thing, which Allah has put an affinity for these things in the hearts of the people. These are the types of things that people have an affinity for. And if you possess these things, like the example here of the thousand gold coins, you know that this would, 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 would be in your mind. It would be in your mind. However, on Yawmul Qiyamah, these things will be of no avail. They will be of no benefit. So when... A person who is upon disbelief, he comes. It will be said, anyone who comes upon disbelief, فَلَنْ يُقْبَلَ مِنْ أَحَدِهِمْ مِلْءُ الْأَرْضِ ذَهَبًا That it will not be accepted from any one of them. مِلْءُ الْأَرْضِ An earth full of gold. If you come on Yawm Al-Qiyamah with no iman, then even an earth full of gold will not be accepted from you. It will not be accepted. And even if a person ransoms himself by way of an earth full of gold, it will not be accepted. And likewise on a day, قُلْ يَوْمَ الْفَتْحِ لَا يَنْفَعُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا إِيمَانُهُمْ That on the day of Al-Fatih, which is the day of resurrection and reckoning, those who disbelieve their iman on that day will be of no benefit. Nor will they be given any respite. So, the point that's being made here is that something which is of great, tremendous value and loved by the people, loved by the people like gold, for example, on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, this will be of no benefit whatsoever. In contrast to the issue of gold, we see that Allah has also made beautified and made dear in the heart something else. And what is this thing? It is Iman. But Allah 
So the same thing that was mentioned about those seven things from which is gold, that men have love, hub, hubu shahawat. And it has been made beautified, zuyina linnas. You see, the same two words are mentioned in this ayah. Walakin, walakin Allah, habba ilaykum al iman, wa zayyanahu fi qulubikum. Allah has made iman to be endeared, endeared, or beloved in your hearts. He's made you to like it and love it, and He has beautified it, adorned it in your hearts. Now, this iman, in contrast to the gold, in contrast to the gold, when you come with this iman on Yomul Qiyamah, on Yomul Qiyamah, this iman will save you. It will give you light. It will give you direction and guidance on Yomul Qiyamah. Allah Zawajal, He mentions about the believers on Yomul Qiyamah, يَوْمَ لَا يُخْزِ اللَّهُ النَّبِيِّ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مَعَهُ On the day that Allah will not humiliate the Prophet or disgrace the Prophet and those who are with him, نُورُهُمْ يَسْعَى بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَبِإِيمَانِهِمْ Their light will proceed in front of them and by their by by their side, by, by by their right to the end to the end of the ayah. So this nur, as Imam Sa'di rahimahullah explains, this is the nur of iman. This is the nurul iman, and the diya, the light, the illumination of 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 iman. And so this, when a person brings this iman on Yawmul Qiyamah, something which Allah also beautified in the hearts of people, in the hearts of the believers that is, then, then this will avail a person, this will save a person. So the point being, we are contrasting between something like gold that the people are attached to, and which if they possessed in abundant amounts, they would think about it day, day, in, in the day, in the night, in the evening, worried about its loss, worried about its decline, worried about its theft. But it will avail nothing on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. On the other hand, we see that Al-Iman, Allah has also beautified this in the hearts of the people. And on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, it will save an individual from the hellfire. So the connection that's being made here is, do you ask yourself the question that if you had a thousand ounces of gold in your house right now, under the bed, or whatever your secret location is, do you have the same concern, do you have the same fear of losing that as you do with respect to your iman? Do you think about it? Would you think about it? Be truthful to yourself and ask yourself this question and answer yourself truthfully internally inside that if you had a thousand ounces of gold you know that every day when you wake up and you go through your day's activities and when you go to sleep when you go to bed you know that that's on your mind because no one has that amount of wealth in the house and it worries you it concerns you you are fearful now ask yourself the iman which you possess when you wake up in the morning, 
And when you reach the evening, do you have the same fear for that? Do you feel the same way about this iman? Knowing the contrast between the gold on Yawm Al-Qiyamah and earths full of gold and Al-Iman. So this is something for you to think about. So this leads us now to the next, the second part, which is that the Salaf, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they understood the point which has just been made. And that's why you see them speaking about this topic in their books. And that's why you see narrations from, in fact, from the, from the ayat in the Qur'an, and then from a hadith, and then from the, the statements of the Sahaba, and then from the statements of the Salaf. So let's bring something in respect to that from the book of Al-Imam Ibn Baqtah, rahimahullah, from his book Al-Ibana. In the volume pertaining to Iman, he has a chapter called Bab Al-Imanu Khawfun Warajaun. Chapter pertaining to faith and how it is fear and hope. It consists of fear and hope. So he says, وَتَخَوَّفُ الْعُقَلَاءُ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ سَلْبَ الْإِيمَانِ وَخَوْفِهِمُ النِّفَاقِ عَلَىٰ مَنْ أَمِنَ ذَلِكَ عَلَىٰ نَفْسِهِ بِذَلِكَ نَزَلَ الْقُرْآنِ وَجَاءَتْ بِهِ السُنَّةِ He says that the intelligent people, the intelligent people, they fear. The intelligent from the believers. Right? So there are the believers, but then there are the intelligent believers. The intelligent amongst the believers, they fear that iman should be rubbed from them. That it should be stripped or negated from them. And they fear hypocrisy. They feared, they fear that anyone who feels safe from hypocrisy, or who, who felt secure about himself and about his faith, then they felt hypocrisy for, the, for, for that person. They feel that this is hypocrisy. If you walk around, think about it. If you, let's go back to the same example. If you had all of that gold in your house and you walked around as if, and you know that you are living in an area where there are, where there are predators and thieves and looters, and these people know that you have, that you have treasure, how, would you feel having no fear or concern? Of course you wouldn't. That would be, you would be behaving hypocritically in accordance with what you know, with what you possess. So in the same way, when you, when you do not have any fear for your iman, then hypocrisy is feared for that person. So he says, with this, meaning with this thinking, with this, that a person should have this state and condition, this is what the Qur'an was revealed with, and what the sunnah has come with. Meaning, that the Qur'an and the sunnah indicate that a believer should have this type of fear and concern. So from the ayat in the Qur'an, he mentions, we'll just mention just one of them for the sake of, uh, for the sake of brevity. Uh, Allah Azawajal, he says, أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ يَبْتَغُونَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّهُمُ الْوَسِيلَةِ أَيُّهُمْ أَقْرَبُ وَيَرْجُونَ رَحْمَتَهُ وَيَخَافُونَ عَذَابَهُ 
mentioning that they are th- those are the ones who uh, call and they seek their Lord, they, say, they seek a means of needless to their Lord, to see which of them is closest to him. They fear, they hope in his mercy, and they fear his punishment. The focus being here upon the fear. I'll mention the other verses, because they, they, they also add to, to, to this meaning. Uh, Describe, describing the believers, that they, that... Their sides forsake their beds and they call upon the Lord out of fear and out of hope. And one more ayah, أَمَّنْ هُوَ قَانِتٌ آنَاءَ اللَّيْلِ سَاجِدًا وَقَائِمًا يَحْذَرُ الْآخِرَةِ وَيَرْجُوا رَحْمَةَ رَبِّهِ Is the one who stands during the night prostrating and prostrating, the one who is devout through the night prostrating, and who stands fearing the hereafter, having caution against the hereafter, and hoping in the mercy of his Lord, like the one who does not do that. So these three ayat, Ibn Battah, he brings them to indicate the state of being that a believer has with respect to his iman. And then he mentions a series of narrations, a series of narrations, and I'll quickly summarize them uh, for the sake of brevity. Uh, from them is... The statement of Abu Idris al-Khawlani rahimahullah, he brings his chain of narration, and he says, مَا عَلَى ذَحْرِهَا مِنْ بَشَرٍ There is not upon the face, upon the earth, uh, upon the face of the earth, a single man, لَا يَخَافُ عَلَى إِمَانِهِ إِلَّا ذَهَبٍ There is no man on the face of this earth who does not fear for his iman, except that it will go. It will, it will go. It will depart from him. And likewise, the statement uh, of Abu Ad-Darda, there's a long narration, and the narration is as follows, that one day he was sitting, radiallahu anhu, admonishing the people against Ad-Dajjal. And he said, he said, So he's sitting in the gathering and Abu Ad-Darda is in the gathering and he's warning the gathering of Ad-Dajjal. So the narrator who is uh, Al-Harith bin Muawiyah, he says, I said to myself, I thought to myself and I said to myself, Wallahi, there is something besides Dajjal that I fear for myself, greater. And so he said, what is it? What is it that you fear greater than Dajjal in yourself? He said, indeed, I fear that my iman is removed from me whilst I do not know, whilst I am unaware. That your iman is taken from you whilst you are not aware. And so, in response to this, Abu Darda said, may your mother belong to Allah. Do you see that amongst the people there is even just a hundred who fear the likes of what you fear. In other words, when, when he said what he said, that he fears for his iman being lost more than that he fears at Dajjal, then Abu Darda said to him, 
in amazement and in response that he said, do you find that amongst the people there's even a hundred who feel like what you feel? Like in this gathering now, and the example which I gave you of the gold and the iman, and the answer that you should have given to yourself, whether you feed the loss of gold more than that you fear for the iman. Is there in this room even a hundred or ten or fifty who fear the likes of this for the iman? More than they fear at Dajjal, let alone fear the loss of the gold. So this is the point that, 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 that he's making. So he, then he says, then he continues, uh, to Allah, may, may your mother belong to Allah. Meaning, may your mother be bereaved and return back to Allah. Uh, do you find amongst the people, even 50 who fear the likes of what you fear? Then he went down to 10. Then he went down to three. And then he said, finally, Wallahi, ma amina rajulun qat an yuslaba imanu illa salabahu. That no man ever feels secure for his iman, like he starts feeling secure and feels you know, safe, except that his iman will be stripped of him. Except that his iman will be taken of him. So this really is, a, is an introduction uh, to introduce the talk, which is that every single believer should be fearful of losing his iman and losing his faith, and he should therefore to uh, strive to try and perfect his faith and to guard his faith. And so in this lecture, what I want to do is to give you a parable or an analogy with which to with which to look at things that take place around you and have an idea as to, as to how to protect your iman, to look at all the various challenges that, that, that you face and which you need to be aware of in order to protect your iman. So at this point in the talk, you should now be aware that every believer, if he does not fear for his iman, then he will lose it. It will disappear from him, whether he likes it or not. So every believer has to wake in the morning thinking about his iman, fearing for his iman, fearing for his faith, and thinking about the various challenges that he will face throughout the day till he goes to sleep. Because a time will come, as you know in the hadith, a time will come when a believer, when a person will wake up in the morning, a believer, and he will reach the evening a disbeliever. Or he will reach the evening as a believer, and wake in the morning as a disbeliever. Because of the trials and tribulations, right? So, um, the parable that we want to give, we want to make an analogy. Because analogies help us to remember. They help us to connect things. So what we want to do is, we want to give an analogy for Iman, and we want to make it to be similar to water. To water. So imagine that you have a tank of water, you have a tank of water, and you are holding it with both of your hands. You have a, a tank of water, you're holding it with your hands. And you have to move from A to B, or from A to Z. You have a journey in front of you, and your survival depends upon this water. Your survival depends upon this water. Why have we chosen water? Well, water because if you don't have water, you will die in two or three days. It's the most essential thing that you need to keep you alive. Aside from air, of course. Air, give it a few minutes, a minute or two. 
Then water, couple of days. So it's from the most essential of things. So imagine you have this water, you have it in a tank, and you're holding it with both your hands, and ahead of you is a journey. And obviously this water is your survival, and there are a number of dangers to this water, to you losing this water. We want to make sure that we understand all of the ways how this water, how you can lose, either lose this water or lose the benefit of this water. So can anybody try to give me some examples? We have five that we want to, that we want to list. Can anybody give me the different ways they think that the water can be compromised or lost? Impurity. Huh? Impurity. Excellent. Impurity. Impurity, first of all. Anything else? Huh? Spill. Spill? Excellent. You hit the jackpot with that word. Spill. Let's start with spill first. First of all, you can spill the water. You can spill it in different ways. What what are those ways? You spill it in small amounts? Is that going to harm you? You spill it in large amounts? Is that going to harm you? Right. So spill, you can spill, first of all, in large or small amounts. Number two, which was, it can be poisoned. How many different ways is it that water, that the quality of water can be changed? This is now we're going into fiqh. How many ways can water be changed? Huh? Color? Taste? Smell. Now we know this from fiqh, right? To do with purity and impurity of water. So water, either its color can change, or its taste can change, or its odor, its smell can change. These are the impurities can en- that, that can enter into your water and affect, affect how effective it is. Right? Because you know, these changes in the water, if you have water that doesn't taste very nice, it's not very pleasant, is it? And if the water doesn't smell very nice, again, it's not pleasant, is it? And likewise, if the, if the water's color changes because of something in it, then you know that when you drink that water, it's not going to have the same effect as the sweet, clear, crystal water. Right? Then there's something else that can happen. What else can happen? Waste. Huh? Waste. You're very close, so we'll accept that answer. Stolen, or basically you can be forced to spill it. Yeah? Someone wants you to spill it. They put obstacles in your way. They want you to lose it. Right? They want you to drop it. They want you to fall, slip, tumble, and want you to lose it all. Yes? So what do we have now? We have five things, right? What are those five things? Number one, spill the water in small or large amounts. Number two, yeah, the three. There's three types. Number two, change in what? Whichever color, let's say color. Change in taste. Change in smell. And the fifth thing? Huh? That you obstacles are put in your way and someone wants you to lose it. Right? They want you to have an accident. They want you to spill it all. These are the five dangers that you face in carrying this water. As you progress in the journey, you'll either make slips. Small amounts will fall out, large amounts will fall out. You have less and less as you progress through the days. Or there will be people putting, 
you know, throw something into the water. It changes color. Add something to the water. It smells. Right? The taste changes. Right? That water is going to affect the effect that it has upon you. Or there'll be people with evil intentions. They want you to slip. They want you to lose the whole thing because they want you to lose everything, lose the water. Right? So these now are the, are the, are the challenges that you face in front of you. So now this water is an analogy for Iman. Yes? This is an analogy for, for Iman. We treat Iman like a substance. The, the vessel is your heart. Right? The vessel is your heart. In your heart is Iman. In your heart is Iman. Iman is poured into your heart. And just like water, when you drink clean, fresh water, it keeps you breathing, keeps you alive, keeps you thinking, reflecting, seeing, doing, acting, choosing. Right? Water keeps you alive. In the same way, Iman in the heart has a similar effect. It keeps you uh, knowing, loving, fearing, hoping, acting, praying, seeking repentance, remembering. Right? Water keeps your body alive and Iman keeps your, your soul and your heart alive. Like for like. Okay? So, so basically what we want to do here then is to analogize with the water and then apply it to Iman. We want to apply it to the issue of Iman. So just like, for example, you have to avoid the five dangers when it comes to the water. You avoid spillage. You avoid spilling the water. You avoid the water being poisoned. It's color changing. It's taste changing. It's smell changing. And likewise, we want to, we want to avoid all of those traps which are out there by which the, the water can be completely, completely lost. Because there are people out there who have their own interests and they want you to either willingly throw away your iman, to pour it all out, willingly, out of choice, they want to make you do that. Right? They want to make you choose apostasy. Right? To spill out all of the water. Or they'll put obstacles in your way to make you trip and fall and make you lose it that way, one way or the other. Right? So therefore, we then, we then, we, we should now understand then that there are three, three ways you can, you can, uh, you can lose your iman, just as there are three ways you can lose your water. First one is spillage. We said spillage, yeah? You said the word spill. Spillage, number one. The second one is spoilage. The water can be spoiled. Yes? The water can be spoiled. In a similar way, your iman can be spoiled. And thirdly, your iman can be in fact, in Arabic, the word is salb, that we use from these asar. Salb, salbul iman. Salb, which means that you are dispossessed of it. That it is stripped from you. It is plundered from you. It is stolen from you. So the word in English we will choose for this one, we will use the word sackage. Sackage. To sack someone means to make, to, to, to sack him from the job, it means that you make the job empty. The job is now empty. Right? So again, in this case, sackage, it means to make you lose your water, to make your bucket empty, or to make your heart empty of iman. So do you understand the connection in the analogies? You see, like for like. Yes? Very clear? Right. So then we can now move, because these are the three challenges to your iman. Spillage, spoilage, and third, sackage.
spillage, spoilage, suckage. This is what we're going to do for the rest of the talk and explain what goes into each of these three areas. So, as we said, Iman is like a substance. It is fluid, it is divisible. Hence the parable with water. Every time you slip, every time you make a slip, you spill a bit of water. And when you sin, you lose some Iman. Yes, every time you sin, something of your Iman is lost. And a sin is disobedience to Allah Azawajal. And Allah Azawajal, from His perfect knowledge and wisdom, He has prohibited certain things, and He has enjoined certain things. Right? There are things which are wajib, or things which are you know, enjoined, and things which are prohibited, haram. These things which are prohibited or enjoined are things which are either beneficial for the society and for the, for the individual, or they are harmful for the individual and the society. So when you commit a sin, when you commit a sin, there are a number of wrongs that you are doing. There are two or three wrongs that you are doing. The first wrong that you are doing is that you are disobeying Allah Azawajal. This is disobedience to the command of Allah Azawajal. The second thing that you are doing is that you are violating the right of your body. Your body has the right upon you that you make it obedient to Allah's command. When you allow your soul and your whims to direct the body to disobey Allah, you have now violated the right of your body upon you. So you violated Allah's right, you violated the right of the body upon you. And thirdly, if it means that you transgress against someone else, and you take their right, you, you, bring, you harm their honor, or their wealth, or their property, or their blood, then you have now violated the right of the servants of Allah Azawajal. So, in other words, sin is something that is harmful. It's actually harmful. It's harmful to you, or it's harmful to others. And so Allah Azawajal, He has prohibited everything in which there is harm to the society, and He has ordered everything in which there is benefit to the society. And we'll take this from an ayah in the Qur'an, and a statement from Imam al-Sa'di rahimahullah ta'ala, who, who has a really nice statement upon this ayah. So this ayah in, is in Surah An-Nahl, Surah An-Nahl, the 16th Surah, verse number 90. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرُ بِالْعَدَلِ وَالْإِحْسَانِ وَإِتَاءِ ذِي الْقُرْبَى وَيَنْهَا عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ وَالْبَغِي يَعِذُكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَذَكَّرُونَ Indeed, Allah has commanded Al-Adl, which is justice, Al-Ihsan, which is benevolence and kindness, and giving to the, 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 the near relative. And He has prohibited Al-Fahsha, which is shameful deeds, and Al-Munkar, which is evil deeds, and Al-Baghi, which is oppression or tyranny. Allah cautions you in order that you may, rem- that you may be reminded or uh, remember. Now in this ayah, Imam al-Sa'di rahimahullah ta'ala, he says, فَسَارَتْ هَذِهِ الْآيَةِ جَامِعَةٌ لِجَمِيعِ الْمَأْمُورَاتِ وَالْمَنْهِيَاتِ This ayah has brought together all of the commands and all of the prohibitions. Meaning that everything Allah has commanded and everything He has prohibited, it actually comes under this ayah. There's nothing which is left out. لَمْ يَبْقَ شَيْءٌ إِلَّا دَخَلَ فِيهَا Nothing is left out except that it enters into this ayah. And he says, فَهَذِهِ قَائِدَةٌ تَرْجِئُ إِلَيْهَا سَائِرُ الْجُزْئِيَاتِ 
This is a principle to which all of the details, the finer details enter into it. So he says, every single uh, issue, فَكُلُّ مَسْأَلَةٍ مُشْتَمِلَةٌ عَلَىٰ عَدْلٍ وَإِحْسَانٍ وَإِتَاءِ ذِي الْقُرْبَىٰ فَهِيَ مِمَّا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ بِهِ Meaning that everything that you, that, that, that in which there is adal justice, where there is benevolence, and where there is kindness to, the neighbor, to, to, to relatives, it enters into this ayah. And every affair in which there is fahsha, meaning uh, something which is immoral and something which is shameful, or something which is munkar or evil, or something which is oppression to, to, uh, against others, then all of it enters into this ayah. Why are we mentioning this verse? What's the, what's the connection? The connection is that when Allah He prohibits and He commands, it is because there are things which are inherently harmful to you and the society, and there are things which are inherently beneficial to you and the society. Right? So this is like this is this is this is an, uh, when we see atheists and, and disbelievers and other than them trying to find arguments against the Quran and against, you know, why do you obey these commands? Why do you blindly follow? Why do you do this? Well, the, the thing is that Allah whenever He commands and prohibits, there are wisdoms behind it. There are benefits to the individual and the society behind it. Right? It's not something that we are, you know, this is, this is the picture that they want to present. Right? But in reality we see that behind the ahkam of the sharia, behind the commands and the prohibitions, there are far-reaching wisdoms, there are far-reaching benefits to you as an individual, to the society as a whole. And this is very, very clearly apparent in, 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 in the sharia. And we'll come to discuss this in a short while, inshallah ta'ala. So the point being from, that, that we want to take from this ayah is that every single sin is either indecency, fahsha, or it is evil, munkar, or it is al-baghi, it is oppression against someone else. Which shows that sin is harmful. It is harmful either to you, or it is, uh, it is munkar, or it is harmful to someone else. Now these sins that a person commits, they can be major or they can be minor sins. Right? They can be major sins or they can be minor sins. A major sin, what is the definition of a major sin? Can someone tell me? How do we know what is a major sin? Number one, something upon which there is a had, for which there is a specified capital punishment. That is a major sin. Yes? Right? Committing fornication, stealing, drinking for example. These are things which have a had, right? For which you get punished. This, this is one of the ways that we know something is from the kabair. Number one. Number two, Allah's anger, when Allah mentions that Allah's anger is upon someone who falls into a particular act. Right? This is the second way that we know something is a major sin. Third. Huh? La'an. La'an. When Allah curses, when Allah's curse, when Allah says that Allah curses such and such a so-and-so for such and such a thing. This is the third way that we know something is a major sin. The fourth one. Huh? Al-Wa'ad. Afwan. Al-Wa'id. There's Al-Wa'ad and Al-Wa'id. Al-Wa'ad is Allah's promise. And Al-Wa'id is Allah's threat. So whenever Allah makes a threat of a punishment, that someone is threatened with the fire, should he do such and such? That someone is threatened with, for example, the punishment of the grave or such and such. 
Right? This is another way that we know something is a major sin. So these are the four ways that you know something is a major sin. There is a had punishment for it. Allah is angry on account of it. Allah curses the doer of it. Or that Allah, uh, there is a threat specified for it. Okay? So these now are, this is the spillage. This is the major spillage. If you fall into these major actions, you will lose a lot of your water. You will lose a lot of your water. And these actions, these sins are such. Some of the scholars, they explain, Sheikh Salih al-Sheikh, he says, why are they major sins? And he says that many of the scholars, or some of the scholars, they say that they are major sins because they damage, they impact the five necessities. The five dururiyat. What are the five dururiyat? Dururiyat al-khams. What are the five necessities? Meaning, what are the five things which are essential to, to humans for their well-being, for their safety, for their rights? What are those five things that, that a law should protect? What are they? Number one. Ad-deen, sound religion, sound religion, tawheed, iman. Number two, huh? and, uh, in order, and nafs, and nafs, life, protect life. Number three, al-mal, wealth, protect your wealth because it's your rights, your property. Number four, al-aql, your intellect. And number five, al-nasr. Lineage, and some scholars add to this, Al-Ird, which is your honor. Lineage and honor together make the five, right? These are things which any law should protect. Now, let's, let's think now and see how Islam achieves this. Sound religion, you see that in the Sharia there are many things which are prohibited, by which sound religion, which is Tawheed, is protected. Are we allowed to build Mosques in graveyards? No. Yes or no? no? No. Is the curse of Allah upon those who do that? Yes. Major sin. Major sin prohibited because it protects a necessity of the, of the five necessities. And then we can give so many other examples about, for example, uh, the things which are prohibited, not raising the graves, um, building tombs, uh, and many other things which, which are prohibited, not believing in omens, Right, not going to soothsayers and fortune tellers, not praying during the time of sunset and sunrise. Can you see how all these things, they preserve sound religion? Yes, is that clear? Apparent? Yes. Number two, murder is prohibited for the protection of life. There is capital punishment for murder. Number three, for the protection of wealth, stealing, looting, plundering, highway robbery, all of these things are prohibited because they protect a necessity which is which is which is wealth. Aqal, alcohol is prohibited. Drugs are prohibited. Why? Because they damage the mind. And this in turn leads to other things like you know violent uh, violent attacks, you know, killing people with, with accidents, abuse, domestic violence, all these other things, right? Number five, which is lineage. Lineage. Fornication, adultery is prohibited. Why? Because there's, there's many, many reasons. There's many, many wisdoms behind it. Why? Because the lineage becomes confused. There's no proper attribution in terms of lineage. Well, who, who, who's the father of this one? Why isn't he looking after him? Right? And then with lineage, when lineage becomes confused, then 
it affects other things as well. Inheritance rights. What happens with inheritance now? Property rights disappear now when you start messing around like this in a society. So you see, Islam, it saves societies. The Sharia, it saves societies. It doesn't destroy societies. So the point being that major sins are prohibited because they impact these five necessities. So major sins, when you commit a major sin, when you gamble, when you steal, when you, and anything which has a, a punishment or the, the four, the four uh, the things that we mentioned, then you are spilling a large amount of your water. Make sense? You're losing a large amount of your water. This is a huge slip for you to make. And you are compromising your situation. Likewise, everything which is less than a major sin then is a minor sin. Yes? And a minor sin, they are of so many different, they are numerous. Major sins, some of the scholars say seven, on the basis of the hadith, this is not really correct because there are many others. But that which is most correct is that these are the four ways that we know something is a major sin. Right? By Allah's anger, by the threat of punishment, by the curse, and by the had which is, which is specified for that. Right, so the point being then, that a Muslim must not treat sin lightly. Major sin or minor sin? A minor sin, the parable, the parable in the sunnah of minor sin is like what? A group of people, they come together, they start collecting twigs one by one, and eventually they have a huge pile. Right? This is the parable of major sin, uh, of minor sins. That you neglect them, that you think they are nothing, but what happens over time is they become like a mountain. So my major sins or minor sins, we should not treat them lightly at all. Because what you are doing is you are spilling. You are spilling from the water. Are the major sins, which is a large amount of loss of water, or minor sins, which is small drops or small bits as you proceed along the path, as you proceed along the journey. Now, another thing that we should mention here so that we understand that sins have consequences. In the Quran and the Sunnah, it is clear that Allah has mentioned consequences of the actions of humans. Right? There is cause and effect in human actions. Yes? Just like there is cause and effect in the world that we study. Is that true or not? Right? There is cause and effect, right? You drink water, what happens? Your thirst disappears. You put your hand in the fire, what happens? It burns. Right? These are cause-effect mechanisms by which Allah, this is part and parcel of Allah's qadr. This is from al-qada wal-qadr. Al-asbab wal-musabbabat. Cause and effect, this is from al-qada wal-qadr. So Allah has created His creation like this. In a similar way, there is cause and effect in human actions. Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes. Can someone give me some examples from the Quran and the Sunnah of cause and effect? Of human actions with evidence. Perfect. That's the exact thing that I've got here. So the brother mentioned the hadith of the five things which, if you do, that you that that you'd seek refuge if if you uh, reach those things. And he mentioned first of all, when person commit open lewdness, fornication, things like that, openly with no shame then diseases will appear amongst them that were not present in, amongst their forefathers. Secondly, if they cheat each other in the weights and measures, then they will suffer from years of hardship, 
and scarcity of provision and the tyranny of the ruler upon them. Yes? And likewise, if they withhold the zakah, Allah will withhold the rain. And likewise, if they, if they oppose the, 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 the agreement or the covenant with Allah and His Messenger, Allah will allow the enemies to empower them. Another example is when they, when they deal in ina transactions, they become satisfied with agriculture, like it occurs in the hadith, إِذَا تَبَايَعْتُمْ بِالْعِينَ to the end. Then Allah will impose humiliation upon you. Likewise, when you stand in the prayers, and you don't stand by, by being straight and closing the gaps, what is the consequence of that? Allah will separate your hearts. Right? These, we believe in these things because the Sharia has told us of these things. These are cause and effect mechanisms. We believe in them. So the point that we want to make is that sin isn't just a sin. Don't think a sin is just a sin. Sin has an actual, physical, real effect upon you and upon the society. In the same way that water has a real, physical, tangible effect. In the same way that fire has a real, physical, tangible effect. Is this clear? This understood? So this then. And so finally, does Allah Azawajal, you know, Allah gains nothing, nor does He lose anything. If you choose to sin, it doesn't harm Allah in any way. The benefit is only for you, for us. Right? So whatever Allah has commanded is for our benefit. And we can see clearly that that indeed is the case. And this is why you will see that a Muslim, when a Muslim lives in a society, just to finish this point, when a Muslim lives in a society, first of all, the Muslim does not take interest. We don't deal in interest. By not dealing in interest, we are actually helping the economy. So that's one thing a non-Muslim needs to be thankful to a Muslim for, that we are not contributing to the looting and the pillage and the looting of people's wealth through interest. Because Muslims, out of conviction, they do not deal, apart from sinful Muslims, but they do not deal in interest. So people need to be thankful for Islam and the Muslims for that number one. Secondly, Muslims do not drink. Therefore, they do not drink and drive. Therefore, they do, not, they do not kill people. Nor do they commit domestic violence on account of drink, under the influence of drink. Right? How many people are killed on a yearly basis? Does anybody know the statistics? Remember the statistics? How many people are killed on a yearly basis due to drink, drive, violence, fighting, hospitalization? Whatever the statistics, you know that. That's the second reason non-Muslims need to be thankful to a Muslim for. The second reason. Thirdly, Muslims do not fornicate and commit adultery. They don't commit. They don't fornicate, nor do they commit adultery. This is another another way by which of people kill other people, people engage in violence with other people. They do not, you know, create confusion in the lineage, such that property rights and inheritance rights become confused and taken away from them. That's another reason people need to be thankful for Islam and Muslims. Right? So the point being that Allah Azawajal, He gains nothing nor does He lose anything should you choose to disobey Him. The benefit is for us. The benefit is for the society. Clear? So, this now is spillage. You spill the water in small or large amounts, these are major sins or minor sins. Right? So when you wake up in the morning, you ask yourself, where is my water today? By the way, we forgot to mention that water, you collect water 
by coming to the masjid, by acquiring knowledge. This is this is like iman. How would you acquire iman? Iman is through ilm, al ilm nafi' wal amal salih. This is the analogy. Iman is beneficial knowledge and righteous action. You come to the masjid for that. And you fill your heart with that iman. Just in the same way as with water, you fill the water from a clean stream, a fresh stream. So it's nice and sweet to drink. Right? So this is how you are adding to your iman. So you keep adding to your iman. And so the first thing is, you avoid spillage. You avoid what? Spillage. Major or minor. Drops or large amounts. Because this is harmful to you on the journey. Is that clear? Second thing now is spoilage. Spoil your iman. And spoiling your iman... We, again, we take this. So these analogies we actually taken from texts in the Quran and the Sunnah. Right? These concepts. They're taken from the Quran and Sunnah. The Messenger of Allah Sallallahu he said, تُعْرَضُ الْفِتَنْ عَلَى الْقُلُوبِ كَالْحَسِيرُ عُودًا عُودًا Tribulations will be presented to the hearts. Just like, it's like you know, when you have a reed mat and a stitch is made, then another stitch is made, then another stitch is made, like in succession, there's a stitch is made one by one. In succession, in the same way, with, will tribulations will be presented to the hearts. So this shows that there, there are tribulations which will come to the hearts. And we're going to look at those tribulations, inshallah ta'ala, the types of tribulations. But at this point, I want to make it clear that there are three things, there are three things which affect the quality of the water. Right? There are three things. We already discussed that previously. Yes? They are what? Taste. Color. Smell. In the same way, there are three things that affect and spoil your iman. There are three, three things that spoil your iman. First of them we should mention is connected to the previous one. Whenever you spill something, whenever you commit a major sin or minor sin, that also has a spoiling effect on the water that remains. Is this true or not true? Yes. Is this true or not true? When you commit a sin, what happens? There's a spot that goes on your heart. Yes, true or not? Yes. yes? So the more you sin, the more spoiled what you have becomes. Yes? Is that clear? So we want to get this uh, observation out of the way first. So we know that sins which are spillage, which, which, which you spill, we know that not only are they spilled, but they also leave... Uh, 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 they leave an impact upon what's left. They discolor it. They give it some mal odor, or they there's a bad taste left in your iman. Yes, when a person commits fornication, he's lost some of his iman, but it leaves this, there's a taint now. It's not the same anymore. There's a taint now, and the same with all the other sins. Yes, so all sins, major and minor, what do they do? They cause a bit of spoilage. Yes. The more you engage, the more spoiled that iman becomes. So that now, we, we've dealt with that issue now, yeah? That one of the things which spoil your iman. But the main things that we want to discuss in these, these two things now, is that the spoilage is by way of bid'ah. Innovation. And that innovation can be in i'tiqad, in belief, or it can be in terms of action, meaning bid'ah, in deeds, in acts of worship. So these are the two things now that cause spoilage in your iman. Yes? On top of the sins that we already discussed. So now we need to discuss each of these two things. Just like your heart, just like the water 
when you put a bit of color in there, when you put some, let's say you put some sulfurous compound in there and it smells really bad, or when you, um, you know, put something in there and it tastes really evil, really bad, then in the same way, bid'ah, when it comes into your heart, it makes your iman disfigured, like it's discolored, it makes your iman smell, it makes your iman taste horrible, it doesn't taste nice. This is the effect of bid'ah upon your water or your iman, same thing. So, we know that the Messenger of Allah and we know also as well that nobody, this is why this is, is more, more harmful, it's more harmful than spillage. Because spoilage, it compromises the water. It compromises the water. A person knows when he's spilling. He knows he's spilling. He knows that if he's spilling, he's got to fill it back up again. But when, when his iman is becoming spoiled and he doesn't realize, he doesn't realize that that water is becoming toxic. It's becoming toxic and it's going to kill him. Right? So no one says, for example, yes, my path in Islam is fornication, murder, stealing, cheating. This is my sabil in Islam. No one says that because no one takes sin as a path to be followed. Right? But there are people who take bid'ah as a path to be followed. They say, I am Sufi. I am from Jamaat al-Tablih. I am from Ikhwan al-Muslimin. Right? And they are convinced that this now is the path to be followed. And this is toxic now. Malodorous. And, you know, bad smell, bad taste, bad appearance. Right? So, then, so now, they, 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 so this is why Sufyan Athawri, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, Al-bid'atu ahabbu ila iblis min al-ma'siyah. Bid'ah is more beloved to iblis than disobedience. So, the Messenger of Allah, he said, Indeed, the Jews split into 71 sects, the Christians split into 72 sects, and this nation will split into 73 sects. So the point being that we know that the Muslim Ummah, it's split into many different groups and parties. And these parties, they um, you know, brought doctrines, they distorted the book and the Sunnah, and these doctrines spread amongst the Ummah, and they remained within the Ummah. And throughout the centuries, people inherited those innovations up until this day of ours. So these innovations are widespread in the nation, in the Muslim nation. And so what we want to do here is just mention some of the major ones which will spoil a person's iman. They will spoil, they will cause spoilage in, in your iman. They will make it smell bad. They will make it taste bad. They will make it look disfigured and evil. So from the first of them, we'll mention six or seven inshallah ta'ala for the, for the sake of brevity. So from the first of them is the khawarij. The khawarij, they are the, the likes of ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and nusra Boko Haram, all these evil people who are the inheritors of the Khawarij. And these people, are, the reality of these people is that they are ignorant, they are juhal, they have no Sharia knowledge, they never took knowledge from the scholars, they see tyranny, injustice, and some of them actually have a desire for wealth and authority. So in their hearts, there are mixed things, their hearts are dark, black, toxic to begin with then they have little knowledge on top of that, then they mix all of that together, and then they cause corruption upon, upon the earth. The Khawarij, they rebelled, they challenged the integrity of the Messenger of Allah they opposed and rebelled against Uthman, they assassinated him, anhu. they rebelled against Ali, 
and they assassinated him. Then they continued rebelling against the Bani Umayyah for many, many, many decades. Then they continued rebelling against the, uh, the, the Abbasids. And as a result, of the, as the scholars mention, if you look to uh, a seer of Al-Zahabi and others, they say many millions of people, as a result of all these rebellions and revolutions, they were killed on account of these revolts of the Khawarij. So the Khawarij, they will come to you with beautified speech. If you are ignorant, if you are ignorant, they will put their poison into your water. They will come to you as you're carrying your water in the journey. He will come to you by your side. And he will put his dro- he has his dropper. And he'll put the dropper in. Hey, do you know that the rule is they are, they, are, they, they are in cahoots with the non-Muslims? Do you know that? Or do you know that the rule is they're subsidizing oil so that the non-Muslims can come and uh, colonize the Middle East? Right? So he's putting this poison now into your, into your water. And this is from his jahl, from his jahl, from his ignorance. Right? So the Khariji will come to you, walk side by side, and he wants to drop his toxic poison to make your iman mal-odrous, to taste, you know, uh, to taste bad and to look bad. This is the Khariji. So we have short time, I need to get through the rest, so I'm going to really uh, go things very, very briefly. So the Khawarij, we should understand and know that there are reasons why the Muslim nation is in a bad condition. A lot of it has to do with the fact that the Muslims, they've abandoned Tawheed, they enter into prohibited things. The nature of the rulers are simply a reflection of the nature of the people. This is the law of Allah and His creation. Right? The Khawarij are ignorant of these things. Right? A Muslim can be sinful, but he's still a believer. A Muslim does not leave Islam by committing a major sin. He can drink, fornicate, cheat, gamble, steal. He's still a sinful Muslim who will be punished. But he does not leave the fold of Islam. The rulers may be unjust. They may be oppressive. They may not look after the interests of the, interests of the subject. But the messenger of Allah informed us that we must hear and we may obey, that we must obey and not rebel against them. Despite their sin, despite their tyranny, despite their oppression. In contrast, look at the Khawarij. They are so appear so pious and righteous, recite the Quran, speak the most beautiful of speech. Yet the messenger of Allah described them as the most evil of creation, the dogs of hellfire, that I would slaughter them if I reached them. Look at the contrast between the two. The rulers, evil, tyrannical, sinful, unjust, oppressive, hoarding wealth, yet hear them and obey them. The khawarij, praying, fasting, reading the Quran, you can hear them crying, Black marks on their foreheads, speaking with the most beautiful speech. Kill them, whatever you find. You know, if you meet them, kill them. The dogs of hellfire. The Quran does not reach their throats. This is a proof that this revelation is from Allah, because a man, a human, would not give these rulings. A human would say, evil rulers, rebel against them, remove them. And he would say, righteous, pious people, praying, fasting, reading the, reciting the Quran, follow them. Right? But this is this Sharia is from Allah Azawajal. And Allah Azawajal, he said, obey the rulers even if they are sinful and tyrannical, because there are wisdoms in that and benefit for the wider society. And as for these people, do not be deceived by their apparent piety. Remove them, kill them, fight them under the authority of the rulers, of course. Right? So the Khawarij, these are people who will come and they will put poison in your water. 
And you see many hundreds and thousands of ignorant people, the ones who go and join ISIS, the ones who go and join Al-Qaeda, what are they doing? They are sat there, there on the internet, following YouTube, following Paltalk, following this, following that, listening to these khawarij. They're putting poison into their water, poison into their hearts. This is what's happening. Right? The hearts are poisoned, and then they go and they fall into destruction. And then they fall into destruction. So, this is the khawarij. Then we have the Shia, the Rafida. And the Rafida, they exaggerated the status of Ali radiallahu anhu. They first of all said that he was the one who should have received, the first of all said that he's the one who should have had the leadership, he should have been Khalifa. Then they said he's the one who should have actually received the Quran. Jibreel made a mistake. Then they said he's the one who actually, uh, he is the one who is inhabited by the ruh. He has the ruh in him. And then they said, he's Allah himself. And then they added to these doctrines, and you know they began to claim that the Qur'an has hidden meanings, hidden secret meanings, and then they became batiniyyah, batini, those people who believe that Islam has a hidden aspect to it, and something outward that is just for the common people, who are just ignorant common people. Right? This is batiniyyah. And so the, the, the Shia, their attacks are against the companions. The Khawarij, they attack the rulers. Yes, they destroy the religion by attacking the rulers and overturning the stable affairs. And they attack the rulers. The Rafida, they want to overturn the religion because they want to attack those who carried and conveyed the religion. The Quran came to us by way of the Sahaba. The Sunnah came to us by way of the Sahaba. Tawheed, Aqidah, Iman came to us by way of the Sahaba. So when they want to attack the Sahaba, what they are doing is they are undermining the deen of Islam. So again, I have to keep this very, very brief. There are many other points. Uh, but this is the poison of Rafd. And there are people who are out there who are sponsoring this, like Iran, the Rafid of Iran. They have proxies in the Muslim countries, in Yemen, Hezbollah in Yemen. They go into different names, the Houthis in Bahrain, in Lebanon, in Egypt, in other places. And they are there because they believe that uh, they are working towards a revolution. Because they believe in the, 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 the Mahdi will come when there are worldwide revolutions in every place. So they are working to effect these revolutions. So in Saudi Arabia, they are working to create, they are the ones who are doing the marches, the demonstrations, things of that nature. Then in Bahrain, they are doing the same. Then in Kuwait, they are doing the same. Then in Egypt, they are doing the same. Then in, this is what they are doing. Because they believe by deliberately fermenting revolution, the time will come when the Mahdi will be about to appear. In the same way that the evangelical Christians are the ones who are saying, we have to help Israel to destroy the Arabs because then Isa al-Islam will, de- will, will descend. Right? So they are trying to achieve the same thing themselves as well. So all of them have their own approaches and interests. But the Rafida, this is what they are basically doing. And so part of their tactics is that they basically want to spread doubts about the Sahaba. Right? So that's why a Rafidi will come to you on your journey and he'll come next to you and he'll put you with his dropper, with his dropper and he'll put his poison into your water. Or did you know the Sahab? Did you know that some of the Sahaba, they became apostates? And he started bringing texts, dubious texts which have an explanation. Right? This is the way of the Rafidi. He wants to poison your, your, your water, which is to poison your imam. Next group are the Qadariya. Again, we'll quickly uh, summarize. The Qadariya, they basically said that Allah has no knowledge of events before they occur. Allah does not know that you are going to sin until after you've sinned. Allah does not know you are going to do a righteous deed until after you've done a righteous deed. This is kufr. This is kufr. 
This group actually died and passed away. It, you know, went. But there are people present today who are actually presenting the same idea but in a different way. Right? And I won't, won't go into all the, all the details. So this is the Qadri. And then another group came afterwards and they said that Allah Azawajal, He does not create your actions. You create your own actions. When you sin, you have created your own action. You performed your own action outside of Allah's will, outside of Allah's creative power. Right? So this is another bid'ah. The fourth bid'ah is the bid'ah of the murji'ah. The murji'ah, they expelled actions from iman, as you know. They said, faith is not part and parcel of iman. Iman is just what is in the heart. What you believe. This is, this is what will save you on Yawmul Qiyamah. And this is an erosion of the religion itself. So again, a person will come to you as you're walking with your water, with, with, you know, and he'll put his poison in there and he'll say, oh, you know what? You know, iman, the meaning of iman is tasdiq. It just means to believe. And that's all iman is. Actions are not from iman. Allah will forgive you. As long as you believe. It's okay if you commit sins. Allah is al-ghafoor, al-rahim, al-rahman. He will forgive you. Have hope in Allah. All of this is irja. This is someone poisoning you and making your iman to be, to be toxic and of non-effect. Now obviously we all believe, we know that iman is... We know all this, but sometimes someone can have a mentality of irja without even believing in the doctrines of irja. Is that understood? An example of this, for example, is when you say, yes, inshallah, soon I will repent. You make taswif. Taswif is when you say, yes, soon I shall do this. Because the meaning of irja is to delay action, to put off action. This is the asal of the meaning. So, sometimes you, you might say, yes, I believe iman is qawlun wa amalun wa atiqadun. It increases and decreases. I believe all that. That does not mean that you don't still at the same time have a murji mentality. Yes? So you say, yes, inshallah, soon I will go and do umrah and have my sins expiated. Yes, soon I will go to, I will, I will make tawbah. Next week I will make tawbah when I go to Jum'ah. I will make, so you say, soon, 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 taswif. This is from shaitan. So you can have a mentality which is like irja without believing in the doctrines of irja. That's what you have to be careful of. Yes? So again, this is another poison. Then you have the poison of the jahmiyyah. The jahmiyyah, they are the ones who basically want to strip iman from the hearts of the people by saying, Allah has no names and no attributes. If we affirm names and attributes for him, we have made him to be like a body, like everything else. And then they have offshoots of the jahmiyyah. There's the mu'tazila. There is the Ash'aris, the Maturidis, and they have all these doubts that they have. They oppose, they, they deny the symbols of Islam, Allah's names, Allah's attributes, Allah's actions, Allah is above the Arsh, Allah will be seen in the hereafter. Right? Allah descends to the lowest heaven and offers His forgiveness and His mercy. All of these things, they are poisons which, which affect uh, Iman. The Mu'tazila, they put reason ahead of revelation. They use their subjective reason and they start challenging the Qur'an and the Ahadith and the Ahkam of Allah Azza wa Jal. Oh, I think such and such, it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make sense in, 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 in the modern era. Right? And they use reason to try and overturn the wisdom of Allah Azza wa Jal in the various you know, rulings that we find. Again, I'm quickly summarizing because we are short of time. Likewise, number seven, so that was number six, the Mu'tazila number seven, the Sufis, the Sufiya. The starting point of Sufism is that you think it is spirituality. Purify the soul, purify the heart. It sounds all very good and very nice. But then you don't realize that there is an underlying philosophical element to it. That philosophical element is, it's called the secret. 
This is the great secret. The secret is that everything is Allah. The unity of existence, everything is Allah. Nothing is in existence except Allah alone. This is their Tawheed. There's only one existence. In other words, there is not a creator and a created. This to them is shirk. Because now you've established two separate existences. This is their shirk. Right? Therefore, all of existence is only one. This is Tawheed to them. Therefore, everything worshipped by anyone and everyone is Allah. The Christian worships Allah. The Hindu worships Allah when he worships the elephant with the seven trunks or whatever else. Or the monkey or whatever else. Right? The idol, the red Indian when he worships the totem pole, he's worshipping Allah because everything in existence is Allah. So unity of existence then leads to the unity of religions. Everyone is right. Right? So the starting point of Sufism when you enter the door, it is purification of the soul, purification of the heart, spirituality, good manners. And as you go further and further and further and deeper and deeper and deeper, and you get initiated, then you realize actually there's a, there's a philosophical element to it. And this is the end result of that philosophical element. Yes? And then when you look at the Sufis, you'll see that many of them will be at a different part of the spectrum. Some of them will be just beginners here. And when you tell them these things, they will say to you, you are talking nonsense. I've never seen any of that. I've never heard of it. All we are doing is just purification of the soul. That's because this guy is here in the spectrum. Right? But the ones who are over there in the spectrum, their leaders, they know exactly what they are doing. Trust me, they know exactly what they are doing. They know that there's going to be a, there's going to be a fraction of ignorant people who don't have intellect. They will not progress beyond a certain point. So let's just leave them at that level, engaging in you know, the spiritual things and sitting in rooms and doing whatever they're doing. And let's, let's leave them at that point because they are just like the lower level. And they know that there's some people who are smart and shrewd. And as they go further and further, they can then be told the real, the secret, the haqiqah. The haqiqah, this is the language, the haqiqah, the batin, the inward reality. The haqiqah, the actual reality. What is actual reality? Everything is one. Right? So this is Sufism. So these people will come to you and they'll put the poison. Oh, look at the, the hearts are so soft. The manners are so nice. Right? This is poison now. And look at you guys. We don't see you, you know, we don't see the piety from you and the, the hajjad and the whatever else. But al iqtisad fi sunnah khayrun min al ijtihad fi al bid'ah. Yes, remember that. That's Sufi's way. Okay, so this is seven. We could go on and on and on. But do you, do you understand the point? What is the point? Spoilage. These things they make your iman look repugnant. Look at the khawarij. Look at the khawarij. When you look at them, this is repugnant, evil. Evil to look at, harmful to look at. This is the, the analogy for, for, the, for the water. The water, it looks murky, dirty, tastes horrible, smells disgusting. This is what these bid'ahs they do to your iman. Now, so we said there are sins. Remember we said sins impact your iman as well. Yes, there's a slight bit of discoloration, slight bit of smell, and a slight bit of tasting bad. Yes, the same major sins and minor sins. They have that effect. Yes, is that clear? But the same, but then we have the bid'ah in i'tiqad. This is the worst. This makes it appear horrible. 
smell horrible, taste horrible to a much, much greater degree. Yes? Then we have a third thing that we need to complete which is bid'ah in actions. Yes, the actions of worship. When you do not follow the sunnah, when you perform bid'ah in the acts of worship. Right? So this is our third thing that will affect your iman. It will not be fresh, clear, pure. There will be some discoloration in there. There will be some smell in there. They will not look the same. Right? So when you see the, the bid'ahs that the people perform, this is the analogy for that. It's not the same level as the bid'ah of i'tiqad, but obviously it means that you're losing out in something. That the, the iman is not having the same effect. So you see the major innovations, milad, that they do, that they celebrate. And all the other major innovations in worship that you do, which don't agree with the sunnah. You are not benefiting from that. You're not benefiting from that. And it's discoloring your iman. It's disfiguring your iman. So again, a person would then go, he would study, and he would go to the books. And one of the books you can go to is Sheikh Muhammad bin Salih al uthaymins book, Rahimullah, on uh, the, the, the book, uh, Innovation, Al-Ibtida. Uh, what's the title again? Al-Ibtida fi Kamali Shara. Yes? Huh? What's the title of the book? Ah, that's it. Al-Ibda. That's it. He has a book, excellent book, Innovation in Light of the Perfection of the Sharia, where he mentioned that every action has to agree with the Sharia in up to six different things. You know, the number, the timing, the place, the kaifiyah, the how. Right? So a person makes sure that his actions are in accordance with, with the sunnah. So therefore he's saved now from his iman being discolored, smelling bad, and tasting bad. So is this analogy clear for spoilage? We have first of all, what was the first one? Spillage. Major or minor, yes? And then we have spoilage. What are the three things that can spoil your iman? Number one? Sins. Sins, you lose your iman, but they also have a little effect upon your iman. They spoil it. And then the major thing, secondly, is what? Bid'ah fil i'tiqad, or fil manhaj. Number three is what? Bid'afi fil ibadat. Yes? Clear? Can we move on? Can we move on? No. The third thing was Salb. Salbul Iman. This is what the Salaf feared. Remember those narrations that we brought from Abu Darda, Abu Idris al Khawlani, the ayat in the Quran? Salb, which is actually fits nicely with the English translation. Salb, which is to, to strip, to dispossess you. And sackage is the same thing. It means to loot, to pillage, to steal from you. So you are left with nothing. So as you know that there are people of various backgrounds who are out there and they want you to, to trip and for all your water to, to be poured out. Right? Either they'll convince you to pour it out willingly that you think, ah oh, yes, I no longer need this now. Let me just pour this iman out. Let me just get rid of it. So they'll convince you to do it that way or they'll put an obstacle in your path. Right? And they'll make you slip and trip and so your iman disappears. Right? There'll be tribulations or trials and you, you know, it disappears. This now is giving up your iman apostasy. Right? There are people out there who want this to happen to you. Right? And I'll give you one of those examples in the Quran just so that you know, we'll come to them shortly. They are number five in the list. But in the Quran we see Allah He says, وَدَّ كَثِيرٌ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ لَوْ يَرُدُّونَكُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ إِيمَانِكُمْ كُفَّارًا 
there are many amongst the people of the book who want to turn you back from your faith as disbelievers. Hasadan min indi anfusihim min ba'di ma tabayyana lahumul haqq Why is this? It is because of envy and jealousy that they have after the truth has become clear to them. After they know the truth, out of envy. Right? There are many people which are like this. We'll, we'll discuss them when we come to the, this, this particular group, inshallah ta'ala. So the point being, these people, first of all, they want you, there's three steps that they'll take. Number one, they'll come and they'll try to convince you to pour it out willingly. Pour out your faith. Become an apostate. And then they'll give you arguments and shubuhat. This is the first level. The second level is, they will stick their foot out as you're walking with your water. As you trip and you fall, and then all of it disappears, your iman disappears. Second is, they'll put obstacles and tricks and subterfuges. And the third level is, if they can't do that, they'll make you lose as much of it as, 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 as they can. They try to make you give up as much of it as you can by compromising, making compromises, yes? These are the three levels. So let's go through the different factions who are trying to suck your iman and trying to make you lose the water. First of all are the munafiqoon, hypocrites. We know that Allah has mentioned their presence, they will always be present. In the opening of the Qur'an, the people are divided into three, the believers, the disbelievers, and the hypocrites. Right? Now, we can never know the munafiqoon, we can never know, we cannot tear open people's hearts and say this one's a monafik, that one's a monafik, because many of them, even the messenger of Allah he did not know. He knew some of their names, but many of them he did not know who they were. So I'm making it clear to you, that we cannot say this one is a monafik. We can't say that. Right? Because this is takfir. However, we can work against hypocrisy with the pen and with the tongue. With the pen and with the tongue, by destroying their shubuhat. By destroying the arguments. Right? So, the munafiqoon, we see that they come in different guises, different forms, different shapes. They come as reformers. They come as modernists, rights activists. And all they want to do is they want you to disbelieve like they disbelieve. Right? You'll find these people in the Arab lands. You'll find them in the non-Muslim lands. You'll find these people all over the place. But again, we know them by the traits and the qualities. Always attacking Islam, attacking the Muslims, and then showing the greatest of love and friendship you know, to, to other people. Right? We know them from their signs. Right? Undermining Islam, undermining the prayer, fasting, modesty, chastity, the woman's dress. Right? We, we, we know them from the signs. Again, we can't say this one is a monafic. But we, what we do is we counter it by writing, refuting, destroying the arguments. Right? So this is the first group who is out there that you need to recognize and be aware of. Second group are the Murtadun, apostates. And you see that, you'll see these people out there, they used to be Ismailis, obviously they wouldn't be apostates in that case, Ismailis or Qadianis, because Aslan, they're not Muslim to begin with. But to them, they come across as if, oh, I abandoned Islam, I left Islam. The thing is, you want an Islam to begin with. You want a Muslim to begin with. But, and then they come across and they go and become either an atheist or they become a Christian. Then they become soldiers to try and call to their, to their, to their, to their, to their you know, apostasy. So these people, they never understood Islam to begin with. Right? If you believe that Aga Khan is Allah upon the earth, to whom you give one-fifth of your earnings, 
then clearly your aql was not there to begin with. <laughs> you want to, you know, that wasn't, that's not Islam. Right? So when you abandon that and then you became a Christian or an atheist, then you become a soldier against Islam, then you are just a deluded fool. Right? And, but there are people out there who are like this. Right? And, and likewise, many of the Rafida, the Rafida, you see how the, the, the Rafida way in which there is jahl and stupidity and foolishness. And then many people, they leave uh, rafd because obviously people have fitra. They know that this is batil. They leave it and then they think, oh, that was Islam. The Islam of Ayatollah Khomeini, who is the ayat of shaitan, is not the ayat of Allah. Right? And, 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 and you know, so there are people, this is the second category out there, these people. And sometimes you could have actual murtadun. Right? You could have them as well. And these people are out there and uh, you know, when, when they reject the, the bid'ah and the khurafa that they used to be upon, which they thought was Islam, then they come out and they start convincing other people and spreading lies, fabrications, misunderstandings, shubuhat. And amongst them are even those people who, as you know in the Qur'an, there are people from the people of the book who say, become a Muslim in the daytime, then become a disbeliever in, in, in the nighttime. Just to cause doubts um, in, in the hearts of the Muslims. And you see this now, there are people now who do this. You'll see them on you know, social media, YouTube, they'll, they're fake as well. They'll become a, a, a Muslim, right? It could be for a week, two weeks, sometimes years even. Then at the right time, when they've gathered the followers, they'll become, they say, oh, I, I'm an apostate now and I, can't, I, I, I reject Islam and this. And, and there are people who do this. Allah has mentioned their, their tricks and plots in the Quran. So these people are out there. Munafiqun murtadun. Right? They're out there and they're using these ways and means in order to trick you to, to either willingly drop your water, pour it out, or to you know fall and slip. The third group out there are the mulhidun, which are the atheists. And this uh, we have to be quick and to the point and trying to get things across in the quickest, concise uh, way possible. The best way to look at these people, the best way to look at these people is with the following analogy. And, and do not think of them in any other way, because this is the haq what I'm going to explain to you. If you think of the primitive people, let's just use the word primitive people, let's go back, like this is what they say. Primitive people used to look at the thunder, look at the rain, look at the lightning, and they used to become scared. Right? Then they began to treat these things as being gods. They gave them divine qualities. Then they began to worship the thunder or the lightning or whatever else, or the river, because they saw that the river has a force, right? As the river flows, it's got a force, right? So it must have some control over life, death, whatever else, right? So the point being, let's go to a primitive mind who looks at these things and he gives them divine qualities, then it makes sense, does it not, in the primitive mind, that if these things have divine qualities, that I should worship them. Yes? That's why these people, because you only worship an ilah, if you believe that it can bring you some benefit. Yes? This is what Ibn al-Qayyim says. No one worships anything unless it believes that it is an owner of a benefit, or a sharer of a benefit, or a, you know, one who can intercede in a benefit or a helper in a benefit. No one worships anything unless they believe that in, in, in a benefit. So a primitive mind, when he starts worshipping these things, he's being coherent. Yes? 
He believes something has divine qualities, therefore I will worship it. That part, it follows rationally, even though it is upon jahl. Is that clear? Yes? This is the primitive mind. He's worshipping nature. He's worshipping nature. The atheist is the other, is, you could say, another side of the coin. What he's doing is he is giving divine qualities to nature. Just like the primitive gives divine qualities to nature. Yes? He says, you know, there's something divine about the wind, about the rain, about the lightning. So I'll worship it. He's doing this upon jahl, this one. This one, the atheist, is giving divine qualities to nature upon knowledge, knowingly, deliberately, because he does not want to worship a creator out of arrogance. Yes? Is that clear? Right, so he'll say, so when you look in the sciences, if you look in the sciences, the sciences are just is a layer of trickery and deception and technical terms, double meanings. It's all a layer of you know, trickery by which they are concealing the actual, real, simple beliefs that they want you to hold. That's the reality. Right? So what they are doing is, they are essentially saying that, uh, because, because we know that when you look at creation clearly, you can see that there is choice with intent. That this creation, everything that you look at, the regularity, the beauty, the adaptation, you look at the, 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 the human biological life is all based upon information. right? You know that everything is being studied now, all of biological life is being studied now in the same way that they are studying computers, architecture, programming, uh, all these concepts that you see in, 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 in computers, programming, all these concepts, if you're a programmer, object orientation, inheritance, polymorphism, right? And uh, th- this, this is how, because they know that biological life is actually an information science, right? This is just clear evidence that there is one who is Al-Khalaqul Alim. In the Quran, these two names are mentioned together twice. Al-Khalaqul Alim. The skilled creator who is all-knowing. Ala ya'lamu man khalaq. Should he not know who created? Ilm wal khalq. Right? Just a basic look at biological life and the underlying basis of it, it tells you that is there is a knowing, an all-knowing, and a creator. Simple story is finished. The story is finished there. There's nothing more to go beyond that. It's proven. But from this point, all these terms now appear. They use all these very clever terms, right? Where they're trying to hide what they are really doing. They are giving nature divine qualities so as to avoid having to worship Allah. Right? This is what they're doing. So they are the same as the primitives from one angle, giving nature divine qualities, but they are different from another angle. The primitives are more coherent from one angle in that they worship something which has divine qualities. They are more coherent. These are more contradictory. They are saying, well, yes, nature has qualities that you know allow it to create and whatever else. Uh, and so therefore, we're not going to worship nature. This is really concealing their arrogance because they don't want to worship Allah. Right? That, in a nutshell, is all you need to know. There's nothing more to it. Everything after this all of the detailed things about cosmology, uh, 
quantum physics, uh, you know, string theory, multiverses, uh, you know, self-organization in biology, natural selection, in random mutations. All of this are just detailed technical ways by which they are justifying this belief of theirs. That's all it is. Right? And so sometimes people get caught up in bubbles within, within a particular bubble. Right? They enter into the science and they start learning about you know, uh, physics or something. Then they get caught in that bubble and they can't see the overall picture by looking at history and how these things have developed. And then they become convinced. Right? So that's all you need to know. That's all there is to it. It's simple. It's simple. It is arrogance. The proof is already established. The hujjah is already established. Because Allah from His wisdom, He didn't make it a condition that you have to be a scientist in a lab to believe in Allah. The minimum threshold of evidence that is needed for a person to know Allah exists, Allah has made it something that is common to every person on the earth. No one has monopoly upon that knowledge. That's why in the Quran, what are the ayat? What are the ayat? What are they? What are the ayat in the Quran? Alternation of the night and day, yes? Which person doesn't experience that upon the earth? The sun and the moon and the husban, the calculation, the timing. The sending of the wind, the rain, and the plants, diverse plants made from the same water. Animals in which you have four benefits. You ride them, you take clothes from their skin, you have them for meat, you take meat from them and you drink their milk. Right? All the ayat that you see in the Quran is something that every person on the dunya he experiences every single day. The hujjah is established by way of that already. The fitrah knows it already. And then Allah sent messengers and books. The hujjah is established. These are the two uh, witnesses. The fitrah and the sending of the books and messengers. Everything after this is kibar. It is arrogance. But people have just become sophisticated in the way that they justify their disbelief. That's all there is to it. <coughs> so these are who the third group, the mulhidun, atheists. Is that clear? Apparent? Number four, they are the radical feminists. Radical, there are so many of them out there now, radical feminists. And again, this is a whole topic in itself. But let's just make it short and concise so you understand these people, how their minds are thinking. And I'll tell you the reality of these people. These radical feminists, many of them are apostates. You see that they live in certain lands like the Middle African countries over the equator, right, where there are Christian and Muslim countries, right? They have some practices in those countries which Islam does not enjoin, like what they call female genital mutilation, which is true and real, it's, we're, not, we're not denying this, that in some of those countries, for example, Eritrea is like, is it a 70-80% Christian country? Most of the women there undergo this, they call it FGM now, right? Ethiopia is a majority Muslim country, uh, sorry, a majority Christian country, F1, right? You don't hear about that on the news, do you? Do you hear about that on the news? No, you don't, right? So it is not a Muslim thing, it is an African culture thing in that middle belt you know in that specific area so some of these women they obviously they're born in these countries and they've been harmed they've been damaged 
Right, and then they've been treated bad as well by you know cultural practices which like demean women and don't give them opportunities in life and don't allow them to get educated and force them to get married and you know they've had these really bad experiences. And then reacting to these bad experiences, they they you know when either they apostatize or they decide that you know I'm going to choose a very liberal form of Islam. So what they do is they have they now develop this hatred against Islam because of whatever experiences they had personally. Right? It was, Islam didn't order your culture or your society to do those things to you. Right? But they mix and they confuse these things and they treat it to be as something that Islam is enjoining and condoning. So basically these women are scarred emotionally. They're emotionally scarred. They have grudges. They have grievances. And then when they come, sometimes they, they, they come and they emigrate to the West and then they become you know, treated, they, they be given citizenship and then they become politicians and then all of a sudden they start entering into debates and they become you know, promoted for a reason of course. Right? And so, so what they do is they come across as rights activists. And, and So these people want Muslim women to pour their iman out, their water out, just like they did upon jahl, upon hawa, upon anger, upon resentment, upon grudges, grievances. That's what's driving these, these women, right? So, again, a Muslim woman wants to be modest, wants to dress modestly, right? Her privacy is her own thing. What's wrong with that? What, why do you have a problem with that? You know, in the name of feminism, you are, you are, you are calling to this. What? This, is her own, this is her own choice, right? So, they are this contradictory, you, you can see it straight away, contradictory, they're not coherent, they're just, it's hate, anger, resentment, Right, they, they, their choices in life were restricted. They, they bear grudges, and that's what they're about, really. You know, vindictive, uh, angry, envious. Anyway, that's uh, number four: radical feminist. Number five: there are religious interests. We mentioned the ayah, didn't we? min ahli kitab min ba'di imanikum kufara hasadan min indi anfusihim min ba'di ma one of the biggest groups <coughs> now inshallah we'll finish shortly uh, we only have a short while left to go so group number five for example the evangelical Christians they are the biggest group now present and fundamentalist evangelical uh, Christians and what they want to do is they want to draw Muslims away from worshipping Allah being subservient to Allah Worshipping the Lord of Ibrahim and Musa and Isa and Muhammad they want to take them away from that and to worship crosses, trinities, saviors, incarnations. Right? This is what they're trying to do. They want to take you away from worshipping Allah alone to worshipping trinities, crosses, triads, saviors, incarnations. Right? So, they're using, what they're doing is they're studying Islam very deeply. They're going into the seerah, biography. They're going into tafsir, compilation of the Qur'an. They're going to the sharia, and looking at things like this, and bringing out doubts. They bring doubts. Deliberate lies and falsifications, and making the most stupid, ridiculous claims. Ah, oh, the Muslims have 26 Qur'ans. Oh, the first complete Qur'an was, was in 1924. Like stupid, ridiculous uh, 
arguments. Some of them are, are stupid. Some of them are a bit more sophisticated and a bit more detailed. Right? You have to have knowledge of the Sharia. You have to know knowledge of the maqasid of the Sharia to see through the futility of these doubts. Right? And so these people, in a calculated way, they are using all... This is what the missionaries are known for. They use tricks and deception, pretend to be like Muslims. And every trick in the book you can think of, these people are using it. Right? So as the Qur'an made it clear, these people know the truth. They know the truth. They know that Tawheed is the Haqq. They know that their scriptures, the Torah and the Injil, they know that they are corrupt. They know they admit it themselves. They know it. They know the Qur'an in its transmission, in its, in it, the miracle of the Qur'an, in its revelation, memorization, transmission, the different modes of recitation, the way it's preserved in writing, in memory. Right? We know that, we even know all of the modes of recitation. You can get a Qur'an now, and it will tell you for each surah and the ayat, the different ways it can be recited. Right? The Muslims were so meticulous by Allah's permission, by Allah's success, that they, that they noted every single you know, thing about the Qur'an. Right? So that, that they know all this. And this is envy and jealousy and hatred that the Muslims have an actual authentic revelation, that they worship only Allah alone. Right? And they're thinking, these, you know, these Arabs, why didn't we? Why should they have the truth and we don't have the truth? This arrogance. It's also racism as well, to, to a degree. Right? So they reject the truth on account of arrogance. So these people, you see them out there making fake conversion videos. They're boasting, so-and-so become a Christian, you find that he was actually a Rafidi. Right? Or he was an Ismaili. Or a Qadiyani. Or there was some guy, and then when you test them, some, some, some of the Muslims have gone and like, uh, exposed them, saying, oh, you were a Muslim, were you? Right, tell me, how many raka'at are there in the Sunnah of Isha? Uh, he's stuck, he didn't know, because he's a liar. Oh, recite uh, Surah Al-Ikhlas for me then, if you were a practiced, devout Muslim then. Uh, 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 he didn't know, because he's a he's a liar. So all these fake people coming on, onto YouTube, right? Women, men, claiming they were Muslims, when they were not Muslims, right? All these tricks are, are used by these people, so these are the religious interests. Number one, munafiqoon, hypocrites. Number two, murtadun. Number three, mulhidun, atheist. Number four, a radical, uh, gri- aggrieved, angry, resentful, vindictive, jealous women, right? Who have hatred in their... You can just see it clearly from them, just hatred. Right. Number five, number six, religious interest. And then of course, there are corporate interests. You know, that there are people who are not really interested in religion. They just want to uh, exploit people for wealth. People have base desires food, drink, sexual relations, you know, and they have base desires which need to be exploited for wealth, for corporate profit. And so they see religion as an obstacle. So they undermine the, 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 the religion and the ethics and the morals of religion because they're just interested in, in uh, profiting, right? There are those types of interests. Then there are political interests, right? Interests to do with land, right? So, all these people are working together. Sometimes they have allegiances with each other, right? So the evangelical Christians then will host and give support to, for example, some of these radical feminists, or to some of the murtadun, like the you know Ismailis or the Qadianis, you know, who are Aslan, they were they were not Muslim to begin with, and they'll support them and host them and things like that. So you can see how all these people, there's connections between them all. They're all working together, and all of it is to do what they want you. 
either to willingly say, you know what, I'm going to pour my water out. Or they'll make you slip, confuse you, deceive you, or make you fall and, you know, force you to uh, spill, spill the water. So, in summary, we can come to a, a close, inshallah ta'ala. We've given a useful parable, an actionable parable, through which a person, you can prevent three things. What are those three things? What do you prevent? For your water. Number one? village. Number two? Number three? Sackage. So when you wake up in the morning, what are you thinking? Let's go back to the beginning of gold. Yes? Didn't we mention gold at the beginning? Wouldn't you be fearful about that gold if you knew there was a, a thousand gold coins in your house and you were just walking and you know there's predators, thieves, liars, robbers around in the field? Don't you think you'd be thinking? Isn't that true? Yes? Right, so let's bring that link, that gold back to the iman and back to the water. So when you wake up in the morning, what is the first thing you should be thinking? How much water have I got first of all? Yes? What's in my water bottle? That's what you should be thinking. How do you fill your water bottle? Al-ilmu nafi' wal amal salih You get the beneficial knowledge and you perform the righteous action. Every time you perform righteous action, your water has gone up. Yes? Because actions increase your iman as well. Knowledge in the heart, actions on the limbs, iman up goes up. Yes? That's what you're thinking first of all. Let me wake up right. First thing you're thinking, what's in my bottle this morning? Yes? Then you go, Then your aim through the day is what? Fill it first of all. Yes? You are filling your water bottle. Because you know that the day is going to be a journey till the time you come to the evening. As you're progressing through the day, what are you thinking? You're filling number one, and at the same time, what are you? What are you? Huh? Spillage. Secondly, how can things be spoiled? Shubha about the religion, some bid'ah, a sin that you commit, it spoils your, 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 your what you have, or an action that you didn't do upon the sunnah. That's what you're thinking, right? You're thinking this. Also, what are you thinking? The third thing. Sakaj. Salbul iman. Salbul iman. The iman being removed. So you're thinking, what are all those things in ways that you know someone wants to trip me over, make me fall, or convince me to give it up? So you're going to address those three things. Yes? So, we finish with the statement of Allah Azawajal, which is the advice, which is the command that Allah gave to the Messenger of Allah He said, وَعْبُدْ رَبَّكَ حَتَّى يَأْتِيَكَ الْيَقِينَ Continue in the worship of your Lord until certainty, yaqeen, comes to you. And so this is how you are. You are holding your water. You are progressing in your journey. You are protecting it, protecting it from spillage, major or minor. You are losing your water. And from spoilage, from the smell going bad, from the taste going bad, from the color going off, and from suckage, from spilling it all together. So this now is a useful analogy. If you think of things in this way now on a daily basis, very easy. It's not difficult to think about to keep this in the back of your mind. Now today, spillage, spoilage, suckage. Right? It's a very easy model. And the model is of water, and the water, you know, its, it's likeness is like iman, it is, it is fluid, it is divisible. It can go up, it can go down. It's an analogy with Iman is, is, is correct and sound and good. And, um, and then analogy of Iman and with gold. You link all of these things together and that's how you progress through your day. 
Right, so with that, we'll conclude our dars there. We ask Allah Azawajal to make this beneficial uh, and uh, useful and um, to give us tawfiq in acting upon that which we have learned. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'i.